Hello, everyone. How are you? Welcome to Parkview. I'm so glad that you're here. It's an exciting day, right? I mean, this is, you guys are the hardcore ones, right? You should get an award. You should get a badge for being at church the Sunday after Christmas. Some of you are back for the first time. I want to welcome any of you. This is your first non-Christmas Eve service being here because I know that some of you were because there were 24,000 people here last week over two campuses. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, this is a weird week. Ever since I was a little kid, I always felt like this, this week was really strange, you know, because like, you go through all the, the big power and the festivities of Christmas, and, and, then, and then you get this week. In between Christmas and New Year's, it's just kind of like, meh. Right? So some of you are going back to work. Some of you aren't. Kids are not going back to school. And it's going to take about two days for whatever they got for Christmas to become meh, you know? And so by Tuesday, I'm like, I'm bored. This week is like a, a, a dead week. And I think the reason why is because a lot of times in the middle of our year, Christmas is kind of a, it's a distraction, right? It, it, it changes. It takes our mind away from some of the things that we'd been thinking about or we'd been focused on. And the other thing about Christmas is we do things at Christmas we don't do any other time of the year. Like you wear things at Christmas you don't wear any other time of the year. Look at that beast, like, unless you lost a bet, you don't wear that thing any other time of the year. We drink and eat things we will not drink or eat at any other time of the year. How many times are you, like, up in St. Joe, Michigan on the beach and somebody whips out some eggnog? Like, it, do it doesn't happen in August. No, this is only a, a Christmas thing. We hang out with people at Christmas we don't hang out with any other time of the year. And maybe we should say amen for that, right? So glad I only see you once a year. Christmas is this huge distraction. And the interesting thing about the Christmas story, if you read it quickly, you realize it was this flurry of activity. Like, let me just set this up for you. There is a virgin girl who's visited by an angel that says, hey, just because you've never, you know, you're going to be pregnant and your child is going to be the savior of the world. I realize God has not spoken in 400 years at this point, but this is going to happen to you. Then an angel visits the husband to be the fiance of this young woman and says, hey, even though you guys have never, you know, your fiance is going to be pregnant and her son is going to be the savior of the world and you're still going to marry her regardless of what everybody says. And you're going to raise the Savior of the world. And then they go to visit family, and their family are so embarrassed by this teenage pregnancy that they banish them to the backyard where the animals sleep, and she has to give birth with a bunch of livestock. And then shepherds show up. Dirty, smelly. They just show up. And I'm, if I'm Mary, I'm like, what? what? What are you guys doing here? An angel showed up and told us, oh yeah, we know how that goes. He showed up and told me I was going to be pregnant. Now he showed up and told you guys to come here. And they said, fear not. And so once we changed our loincloths, we came over here after that descending of angels. And then after that, three years later, a bunch of guys who don't even worship the same God show up at Joseph and Mary's and say, hey, we're here to bring you gifts. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then the king finds out that these three guys have come from this other country, and he freaks out, and he has all the baby boys, three years old and under, killed. And so in the midst of that, an angel, again, comes to Mary and Joseph and says, I want you to go to Egypt and stay there until this king dies because he's cuckoo. And so Mary and Joseph are refugees. Think about this. Refugees in another country running from oppression. 
And then once Herod dies, they finally come back. Look, for God to not speak for 400 years, that's a lot to happen all at once. It's a huge distraction. And for just a moment, Mary, Joseph, the shepherds, the people around them who were living in darkness, who have now seen a great light, had this moment to forget about all the stuff that had happened before. The fear, the oppression, the poverty. They stepped out of that just for a moment. But what happens now? And maybe that's where where you are. This Christmas distraction has come, and you've been able to put aside some of the things you've been worrying about this last year. The fears, the insecurities, the doubts, the struggles, the addictions. You've been able to set those aside, and now you've come back to looking at 2015. You see, because here's the reality. When the angels are on the tree, we can avoid the fears from last year. When the angels are on the tree, we can avoid the fears from last year. But what happens when the angels are gone? What happens when we pack up the decorations and we get back to life as it is? When we start to look at 2016, what happens when the angels are gone? What, the fear begins to come back. What if the stuff I wrestled with last year returns stronger? What if the relational issues I had last year return stronger? What if, what if I can't overcome the things that I couldn't overcome last year? What if it's all a repeat of what I just experienced. When the angels are gone, what do I do with my fear? There's this interesting little note after all of the adventure of Christmas has happened. After the angels and after the refugee situation where they go to Egypt and after they come back, Jesus goes to the temple and his parents lose him. Let me give you a note. If you're the mother and father of the savior of the world, you get a leash for your kid. Do not lose Jesus. They lose him, they forget where he is, and they have to go back to the temple in Jerusalem and find him. They find him and they say, you got to, what are you doing to us? Your father had a heart attack. Don't you love your mother? And, you know, all that's typical parent stuff. And then they bring Jesus back. And listen to what the scripture says. It says, then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He's the forecasted, prophesied son of the living God, and he goes home and becomes a junior high kid. After all the fanfare, after the explosions and the fireworks of Christmas, Jesus goes home and submits to his parents, and he grows in wisdom and stature. Jesus is 12 when this happens. We don't see him again in the Bible until he is 30 years old. 18 years go by before we ever see Jesus again. What's going on? The scripture tells us. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. After the angels are gone, after the fears and insecurities of last year come screaming back to us, after all the people in Jesus' time forgot about the miraculous birth and began to think again about the poverty and the oppression of Rome and all that stuff that threatens them, after all of that happened, there is only one thing that really helps us and helped them get through. And this is the thought I want to unpack this morning. And that's this, wisdom fights fear in this new year. The one thing that Jesus did after all of the angels were gone is he grew in wisdom. Most of the stuff we've been wrestling with in this past year have to do with us understanding how the world really operates, how relationships really operate, how our mind really operates, how our struggles and our difficulties really function. The way we deal with that is by gaining wisdom. It's not by another infomercial. I don't mean to break your bubble there. 
$29.95 six times is not going to help you overcome what happened last year. The only thing that matters is wisdom. And that's what Jesus did. He grew up. He learned to be wise. Now, when people think of wisdom, typically they think of old people. I don't know why that is. I don't know if they think of this guy, but most of the time when you think of wisdom, you think of old people. Now, granted, I've met some really unwise old people. Not in here, but other places. You guys are great. I've also met some really wise young people. But ultimately, that's not what it's about. Age helps because you have more experience, but ultimately, wisdom is all about understanding the way the world really functions and being able to do something with that. Understanding the way the world functions and being able to do something with that. And when it comes to Jesus, Jesus learned that God understands the world better than anyone else. Preacher and teacher Chuck Swindoll says, wisdom is the ability to view life as God perceives it. To see life the way God sees it is where wisdom begins for us. Because we've been trying to do that as us for a long, long time. We need a new viewpoint. Maybe 2015 was all about us trying to make our own way in the world. And God's like, I have an opinion for you if you would like to hear it. Would you like to understand how life really works? Because God understands. He understands how our bodies really function. He made them. He understands how our relationships are supposed to work. He understands how our limits are supposed to work. He understands how good our minds can be if we devote them to him. He understands the way that we were built to function. And he's willing to teach us that. And we have little pieces of that, you know? We know that one more bratwurst will probably put us over the edge. That's wisdom. We know that in that argument with our spouse or the person we're dating or our family member, if we say what we're thinking, we are going to dig a hole that we will never get out of. We know that, right? We know that sometimes rather than speaking, maybe it's good to just stop and listen and wait and look. Wisdom helps us understand that popularity and boldness are not the greatest things we could possibly ever have. Maybe it's about character. It's about integrity. Wisdom teaches us that there are things that are important that we don't necessarily gravitate toward. If I'm being honest with you, as I look at this next year, I, I don't need another plan. I don't need more advice. I don't need more information. What I need is wisdom. Because I, like all of us, live in a wisdom deficit. What happens is I typically am faced by circumstances that I don't understand, and then I try to do whatever I feel like is right, and then the fertilizer hits the fan. Not, I don't know if you can, you can agree with that, if you've had that same experience. That's where I live a lot of times. So what I need more this year than anything else is not another way of looking or doing something. I need wisdom. I need to understand how God sees the world and understand how life works from his perspective. Because it's not just about information. Wisdom is not just about knowing. Wisdom is also about doing. Wisdom is not just about knowing, it's also about doing. I'm, I'm not a terribly handy person. Have I told you that before? I'm not a terribly handy person. Um, so the, sometime this past year, uh, the pilot light went out on my hot water heater. Now, I thought to myself, not being a handy person, if I'm going to involve open flame and a source of gas... I should probably get somebody else's input into this situation. So I did what any intelligent, non-handy person does when there is a mechanical crisis. I went to YouTube. <laughs> and I said, how do you relight a hot water heater pilot light? I searched it. 
And I got 300,000 videos on how to do that. And the thought struck me, I'm an idiot. There are 300,000 other idiots here. Which one of these idiots is right? I had a whole lot of different influences, a whole lot of information. What I needed to know is which one of these guys actually gets it. Because I'm about to stick open flame and a gas source. See, that's what we're doing with most of our life. And as we go into 2016, most of the struggles we're going to face are going to require us to say, who understands the world better than me? I'm an idiot. Who do I follow in the middle of all this? Who do I follow in the middle of all this? It's all about pairing right knowledge with right action. We all know. Listen, going into the next year, we all know if you want to lose weight, you have to eat less and move more. All of us have that knowledge. We're not, maybe not going to pair it with right action, though. We have to act on what we know. That's what wisdom really is. So for 18 years, Jesus spent time with his father learning how to be a carpenter, learning how wood fits together. He spent time with friends learning how to have relationships. He spent time with rabbis and teachers learning the story of God. And what God might mean to the world in which Jesus lived and learning about the life God created us. And it paid off because this is what people said about Jesus. People asked, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked this because Jesus came from a small town and he was a craftsman. He was a blue collar kind of guy. He wasn't a scholar. And they kept asking, how can this guy from this place in this time be so incredibly wise? One of the most misunderstood pieces of who Jesus was is just how intelligent he was. How deeply and powerfully Jesus understood real human life. So as you look into this next year, you have to understand that Jesus is calling us and inviting us, saying, Find someone who knows how life works better than me, and you can follow them, but I believe you won't find that person. I get it. I see the world from God's perspective. I know how your body works. I know how your mind works. I know how your relationships work. If you take my invitation and follow me, you'll find wisdom in this new year. So if our, if our last year lacked wisdom, let's take that invitation from Jesus, who offers it in love, I'm asking you to do this not because I want to control you. This is what God's saying to us today. I don't want to control you. I love you, and I want to see good things happen to you. I want to see fear disappear from this next year for you. If we don't want a repeat of 2015, if we want to lose the fear that we had in this last year, one of the greatest ways we can do that is to chase the wisdom of Jesus to chase the Jesus who says, come and follow me and fear will disappear. How does this actually work? There's a few things that wisdom does for us. First of all, wisdom gets to the point. Wisdom gets to the point. Wisdom sorts through all the other stuff that we see. If you watch enough late night TV, there are a bunch of people who want to tell you how to live your life and then they're charge you for it, which I think is amazing. But in Jesus' time, they had a system of religion that said there are 613 commandments you have to, you have to keep in order to be God's people. 613. That's a heck of a laundry list. How do you keep track of all those? Do you put them on the fridge? You know, like, shh, 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 shh. 613 commandments. If you missed one, you missed them all. Think about that for a moment. 613 of these, if you want to be God's person, you have to keep all of these. If you miss one, you miss them all. And so a guy comes to Jesus in his life and says, Teacher, and he's setting him up, he's buttering him up, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? 
out of all 613, what's the one that matters the most? And I love what Jesus says. Look what he says in Matthew 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. These 613 laws were all about what people were supposed to do. These are the exact details of what you are supposed to do. But what Jesus did is says, let's move past that to the wisdom of what God is commanding us. It's not just about what you're supposed to do. It's about why. And it's about how. It's not just about keeping all these to the detail. It's understanding why you would bother to keep them in the first place. Because it's wiser to love than to be legal. It's wiser to love God with everything we have and let everything else fall into place from there. As a parent, uh, we've taught, uh, parents, my wife and I, we've taught our daughter uh, not to talk to strangers, which makes it interesting at church because we're all strange, right? So if she talks to you, it means she's breaking at commandment, so you should tell us. We've taught her, don't talk to strangers, but parents, don't you expect your kids to grow out of that at some point? Because you want them to get married, They're never going to date if they never talk to strangers. You want them to actually get a job. Can you imagine them going into an interview and being like, I can't can't talk to you, you're a stranger. Eventually, we want our kids to grow out of that commandment because the point isn't the commandment. It's the reason behind it. It's the wisdom behind it. Not everybody's safe. If somebody rides up to you in a van and says, hey, I have candy in here. Do you want to get in? The wisdom says no. They're a stranger, run away. But eventually she's going to have to break out of that. Because the point is not the commandment, the point is why. When Jesus says, love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself, he's not doing that because he's saying, if you don't do that, you're going to go to hell. He's saying, if you don't do that, your life is going to be hell. It's the reason why, it's the wisdom underneath it. Because there are things we have the right to do that are not righteous. You have the right to say whatever you want to say. It doesn't mean it's the best decision. If you're in a fight with your spouse, you have the right to say whatever you want to say. It does not mean it's the best decision. And I have office hours if that's happened to you this week. You can come and talk to me about that. There are things we have the right to do that are just not wise. We have the freedom of speech. It's just not wise. Jesus says, if you want to live in wisdom, focus on one thing, loving God with everything you have and loving your neighbor as yourself because it's going to take care of everything else that you might face in this new year. You need direction. You need wisdom. You need guidance. Here's the deal. If you love someone in your life, you are not going to slander them or try and destroy them. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to hurt them with your words. That's just wisdom that we can follow. If we love God, I'm going to open up my ears to hear what he has to say. I'm going to follow his direction and do something with it. It cuts through the static. It cuts through all the distractions and all the other stuff that we might be hearing about. This is what you should do, or this is what you should do, this is what you should do. No, no, no. If you love God with everything you have and love your neighbor as yourself, everything else is going to fall into place. That's all you really need right now. But for us, what it requires us to do is also become humble enough to know we don't always know what to do. So sometimes the problem is we have too much information. Sometimes the problem is we're too arrogant to listen to what we know. 
I mean, other people are, not you guys, but other people are arrogant and don't listen to what they should do. Listen to what the Psalms say, or Proverbs says. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. If we're constantly going in two different directions at once, wisdom is going to be very difficult. But that's why Jesus cuts right through the center of it and says, if you just focus on loving God with everything you have and your neighbor is yourself, wisdom will find you. And a lot of your fears are just going to disappear. doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It just means you're going to have a way to deal with that kind of thing. So if you want integrity, if you want to be held together as one whole person, this is how you do it. You've got to humble yourself to know you don't have all the wisdom you need. I, this year, am focusing on humbling myself to know you don't know everything. And that's a very difficult thing for us sometimes. Jesus says, get to the source, get focused, and find wisdom. One of the, one of the recommendations I can give you is to ask this question in the next year. Who are the wise people in your life? Do you find yourself hanging out with wise folks? Because a lot of times if we're hanging out with wise people, that rubs off on us. So if we're trying to cut through the middle and get through all the distractions, sometimes we just need somebody to help us with that. Somebody we trust. Somebody we know is wise and understands what God is leading us to do. So if we're going to find that wisdom, we need some wise people in our life. But we also need a plan. And one of the things that helps us with this plan is the reality that Jesus himself is wisdom walking. Everything that Jesus does in his life is wise. Everything Jesus does in his ministry, in his discussion, and in his words is the best decision any human being has ever made up to that point or ever will make after that point. Jesus is wisdom walking. Listen to what Paul says about him. He says, Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Jesus is wisdom walking. Jesus is wisdom in flesh. So if we're curious about how we could be wise in the situations we face this coming year, one of the best things we could do is start following after Jesus. Because all of us are following somebody. It might be ourselves. It might be someone else. It might be the ways that we were raised. It doesn't mean that it's wise. All of us are following someone in this year. We have to begin to ask ourselves, is that way of walking wise? Is that way of walking healthy? Is that way of walking good? Because after the angels are gone and after the fear comes up, what we will do is we'll go back to our default. We'll go back to doing things just like we used to do them. We'll go back to business as usual. And unless we want a repeat of last year, that's not the best idea in the world. Maybe we need a new way of walking and a new way of being if we're going to find wisdom this year, in this next coming year. Jesus' whole life is a moving picture of what it looks like to love God with everything. So here's one of the things he tells us. Jesus teaches his people, don't live with anger. Dallas Willard, a great writer, says that anger is like a headache. You can have it, but you'd really rather live without it. Jesus says, don't live with anger. It's possible for you as a human being not to live with anger. Now, anger is a real human emotion. Those of you who've watched the Bears this season understand that. Anger is a real human emotion. It's something that we have. But there's a very big difference between being angry and being an angry person. One of them is an emotion. The other one is identity. So if this past year we have wrestled deeply with our anger, Jesus says, did you know it's possible for you to live without that? We begin to think, how do we do that? We try harder not to be angry, which in turn makes us mad because we fail at it, right? It's a vicious cycle. 
Is there another way to do this? Is there another way to deal with anger? Jesus says, listen, it's not wise for you to be angry. That's the problem. Listen, it'll dominate your lives. Jesus teaches us, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, let me pause for a second because some of you are like, I'm really ticked off at somebody because I had to sit with them at Christmas. What's Jesus really saying here? Is it okay for me to be angry? Anger is an emotion, and a lifestyle of anger is not what we're designed for. It's just not wise. It's not healthy. It's not good for us. We know that. And looking back, we're like, I don't want that this coming year. How do I deal with that? Jesus understands the human being so well because he says, listen, here's the reality. If you let yourself sit in that angry place for long enough, the distance between you being angry with that person and killing them shrinks. If you let it simmer, if you let it fester, if you let it grow within you, eventually you're going to be so mad at that person, you're more than happy to take them apart in public. Maybe you don't literally kill them, but you'll, you'll do it on social media. You'll do it in conversations behind people's backs. You'll do it in your head. You'll have the greatest fight scenes in movie history in your head with that person. Jesus says, this is not where you were intended to live. This is not who you were intended to be. Would you like to learn how not to do that? Where does it begin? Here's where it begins. James, the brother of Jesus, teaches this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Let me give you a different way of looking at it. This is what the message says. Lead with your ears. Follow up with your tongue. And let anger straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness does not grow from human anger. The best way we can do that is when we get into the conversation that's heated, when we begin to think of that person that is starting to simmer within us, that is starting to stagnate within us, that's bitterness is growing within us, we count to ten. We take a deep breath, and we say to them, if we're arguing with them, we say, tell me more. Help me listen to you. Now, for some of us, it's your spouse, and that's going to be really difficult. So this is a learning process. Understand, it's two steps forward, two steps back. But eventually, when we learn to live without anger, there's a whole lot of things that really disappear as far as issues in our next year. Jesus says, you don't have to, learn, you don't have to live that way. Jesus himself was so free of anger that when he was being crucified, he looked at the people who were killing him and says, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. They just don't get it. You cannot say that about a person if you're filled with anger towards them. They don't get it. They don't understand. Would we like to be that kind of person in this coming year? We can do that. The point is not that God's going to destroy us if we're angry. The point is that anger will destroy us without God's help at all. Would you like to live without anger in this year? It's possible. Here's how it works. You follow Jesus. You learn how to forgive people who are killing you. So one of the ways we do that is we've got to figure out what's guiding our decisions, how we handle different circumstances in our life. I want to challenge you. There are three chapters in the Bible that I think are the most significant. In the book of Matthew, chapter 5, 6, and 7 are the three most significant chapters in the Bible. I want to challenge you this year to read those chapters. Take 365 days if you need them. We're starting now. You've got a whole, you've got to run up. It's not even New Year's Day yet. You've got like six extra days here. 
that's because I'm bad at math. You got, th- you got three chapters to read in the next year. If you do that, your reality will change significantly. If we focus on that, wisdom will begin to ooze out of our pores. It will become natural if we focus on those things. And if you don't already see this, wisdom is one of those ways wisdom will fight fear in this new year for us. The wisest thing we can ever do is to fight our fear by following the man who is the wisest man who ever lived, who ever walked on the face of the planet. Last but not least, uh, this is one of the hardest things to do, is we have to retrain our brains to be wise. And one of the things we do that is by learning new information. Our bodies are driven by our brains. Some of you think, I lead with my heart. You don't. You lead with your brain. It's the way all human beings work. And one of the ways we do that here at Parkview is we train people by teaching. And so we have this event coming up on January 19th called Grow You. Grow You is going to be a huge event with dinner and childcare where you have the opportunity to learn something that God might be bringing to you as a way of being wise in this next year. You can sign up for that online. There are all kinds of different opportunities there. Check out what's there. See what it is that God might be calling you to. There's an amazing opportunity for you to change your entire 2016 just by signing up for a class and showing up. So that's one of the things we do here. Now, one last thing about uh, wisdom, and I think this one is the most important, and it's also the hardest one to hear. Wisdom isn't sexy, but it's fruitful. Wisdom isn't sexy, but it's fruitful. Wisdom is not going to get you your reality show. If you're angling to get your own reality show on the e-network, don't follow wisdom, because it's not good television. Wisdom is not going to make you famous, it's not going to make you popular, because wisdom isn't sexy, but wisdom is fruitful. Wisdom is that kind of thing that will bring goodness and grace to your life in ways that you couldn't have ever planned or expected. But not everybody's going to do it. I love what Jesus says about this. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road, and only a few find it. That's in that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 area. There's a big fat road that everybody chases. I mean, we're all idiots at one point or another. Can we just admit that? What happens at Parkview stays at Parkview. Everybody is an idiot at one point or another. And sometimes we're idiots because we follow other idiots. Because everybody else is doing it, we probably should do that. And in the midst of that, Jesus goes, do you really want to be an idiot? What if there's, there's a road over here where there's no idiots on it, but then again, that's where all those people are. Would you want to, what about over here? And he says, listen, if you want a life that nobody else is suffering with and struggling with, if you want one that's filled with fruit and goodness and blessing and joy and truth and hopefulness, look, over here. There's a, nobody's going over here. It's, it's a narrow road. It's hard to walk and it's uphill, but it leads to life. Not many people find that road. What do you think? It's not the sexiest. It's not the most popular. And people are going to look at you like you're crazy. And your life may be, in comparison, somewhat boring. But you're not going to be sitting here at the end of 2016 going, what am I going to do with this coming year? How about this road? It's narrow, it's not sexy, but it leads to life. Wisdom is found on that road. James says this, 
He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There are very few of us who, if we were confronted with that question, would you like peace in your life, would be like, no, I'm good. I like my chaos. I was so hoping to keep it around for another year. James says, wisdom brings you peace. Would you like sincerity? No, I kind of like being, you know, false. (laughs) It's my thing. Would you like to be more sincere? Would you like to see the fruit of these things come out? It's all because of wisdom. To begin to see the world the way God sees it, to follow the person who is wisdom in flesh, and to realize this may not be the sexiest decision I'll make in my life, but it will be the most fruitful I will make in 2015, 16, going on into the future. Do we want wisdom in this coming year? One of the ways we begin to cultivate this is through looking at the things we do every day. We brush our teeth every day, or at least most of us do. Some of you don't. It's okay. Um, We brush our teeth every day because it's wise, right? It's not because we're going to get in trouble if we don't, unless you're a child. We brush our teeth every day because it keeps us healthy. There are daily habits we can get into every single day that will make us wiser. The first one is this. We need silence. In our everyday life, we eventually have to turn down the volume, turn down the noise, and spend some time in quiet because who knows, God may actually have something he wants to say to us. And what would that be like? The other thing we need, frankly, for me this year, this is my challenge, and maybe you want to take it on with me, I am backing away from social media in this coming year. I actually gave my Facebook account to someone else in my family who's going to manage it and watch it because I just got tired of seeing all the anger and the bitterness and the sniping. And I have to tell you, it's really nice. (laughs) Maybe we need to invoke a social media fast for one day of one week of one month this coming year to get our heads on straight. To listen to wise people and not listen to everybody else. What are your daily habits like? What are the things that are going to bring you wisdom in this coming year? The reality is, Jesus is offering us an invitation today. And I want to extend that to you. If you want a year filled with wisdom, a year filled with courage no matter what you might face, there is one way to do that, and that is to follow him. And we believe here following Jesus begins with starting our life by saying, I am tired of doing things my way. I would like to follow you. And one of the ways we do that outwardly is through baptism. So I want to challenge you. Maybe that's been on your heart. God has been pressing that on you, saying this is something you need to do. Today is a day to make that decision. The decision to be baptized, to start over, to start anew. As we pray right now, I want you to consider that and consider the year that's been and what God may have in store for the year to come. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you because you've called us to be wise. I want to thank you because you've shown us a way to see the world you, the way that you see it. And so help us right now. There's some of my friends in this room who desperately need wisdom. They desperately need to see things the way you see them. Help them to do that. There's some of my friends in this room who need to take on the challenge. You've been pressing on them saying, it's time for you to find a new way to do things. 
It's time for you to step into the waters of baptism, to wash off this last year and to step into a new one. I pray that you would challenge them to do that today. Thank you for wisdom. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for all that you've done and all that you're doing in this very moment. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.